0: just go to Cards.com. It's magical. We
1: get live right now, man. It's going down, for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins.
0: You're in a lot of trouble, and maybe it's because... Well, sorry, get <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's in Toronto. And because Philly sucks... I feel like I fear Boston most of all out of any of the Eastern Conference teams.
1: Nah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. nah. Hello and welcome to episode 43 of the Brew Hoop podcast, the Wins, Wins, Wins edition. This is Riley Feldman joining you. Uh, Adam Paris, out of service right now, but uh, we hope you feel better, Adam. A uh, little under the weather, so we've heard. Uh out for Adam in Riley and alongside me, as usual, is my good friend Kyle Carr. Kyle, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. I mean, Adam is under the weather, a combination of the badgers losing and just general under the weatherness. But otherwise, I'm good. Things are things are great.
1: Yeah, I uh I didn't get to watch any of the Big Ten championship game because it hurt so much to my soul still that uh, it could have been the Gophers out there getting totally shut out in the second half and in the first half too. I don't think they would have scored a single point. So I, I hope to all our Badger listeners, this is this is the last time that we need to be at odds with one another. We can all come together once more here at the Brew Hoop podcast and unite around John Lure pivot, stepping in the paints uh, <laughs> highlights on YouTube.
0: Yeah, it was one of those where like even at halftime I was like, no, something poor is gonna ha- like this is not gonna end well. I know better. Like there, no, it's not. This is the Badgers we're talking about. I don't feel confident. Ohio State's too talented, and then lo and behold, that second half happened. I was like, "Yep." That,
1: that was fun while it lasted. But. I mean, well, you know what? You guys get to go to the Rose Bowl and the Gophers, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to the Outback Bowl. Let's go. Hey,
0: Outback Bowl is not too bad, honestly. Like at least you're in Florida and you're not playing like the pinstripe bowl or some
1: nonsense like that. I think I just get thrown off because if it's not one of the major like six bowl games, then you get obviously a really cheesy sponsor. So it, it's been I think I've maybe been to Outback once in my life and as Awesome as those, and by awesome I mean a little gut wrenching. Those bloomin' onions look in their commercials with the really over the top Australian guy narrating it. um it, It's not exactly a point of pride to me that we're going to the Outback Bowl, if only because they were so close to something greater. But let's go that's for football. Yeah, we don't need. Yeah, this I is really not like
0: goal. six bowls yeah. as well. I think it's like the Sugar Bowl, the Rose Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, and the Orange Bowl. Like What's the Orange Bowl one. Oh yeah, Orange Bowl. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, the Outback and maybe the Citrus Bowl. Those that's are like the only ones I fully remember. Otherwise, every bowl game just seems to be a mess that sounds made up and has a ridiculous spots. I think there's like a Tony the Tiger Bowl. And I'm not even joking. There is a Tony the Tiger Bowl that's happening.
1: I feel like if we got enough money together, like I know Brew Hoop's budget isn't huge, but I think there's so many bowls out there. We could probably sponsor one, right? Like the Brew Hoop. I mean, it probably doesn't take much. We just have to make sure we have the facility. We could just have it at Camp Randall. Yeah. I'm sure we know somebody on the inside that would be willing to uh, lend that space out to us, especially end a year in the winter, which would be an awesome viewing experience for everybody from from Tulane and uh, University <laughs> of Louisiana, Fayetteville, or whatever it would be. But this is not, ladies and gentlemen, a college football podcast. This is a Milwaukee Bucks podcast. And as I said off the top, the Milwaukee Bucks, all they do is win. Uh great song aside they are now up to 14 games in a row having one they are at 20 and 3 this is we're recording Sunday night for contact's sake uh, and we had 3 games this past week I'll just run through the uh, final scores real quick 132 88 uh, victory over the Knicks early in the week 127 1-3 over the Pistons and then finally 119 over 91 over the LA Clippers so Kyle I think what we'll do here real quick is we'll split off the Knicks and the Pistons game and the Clippers game just because the significance of the three different types it's you know different for each one so which of those two piles would you like to tackle first the big clippers victory or the quick cover of the knicks and pistons game
0: i think we can quick cover the knicks and pistons just because the knicks are a very very bad team with just a roster that doesn't make any sense whatsoever and now don't have a head coach so
1: you're welcome, New York. I'd <laughs> like, like to believe that I was personally uh, helped along by the Bucks by the uh, size of that victory.
0: Yeah, it's getting to the point where I just feel bad that the Knicks Twitter team, they don't even post the final score anymore. They just say, okay, we're going to the next game. It's like yikes <laughs> how broken is this team
1: on to the next one you're like <laughs> you're like that's not a good sign when not but if they do a really good job making it seem like they might have won like it's everybody's kind of high-fiving as they're going into a timeout because the time was called two minutes into the game but they're only down eight so it's like Woo-hoo, okay we're, we're doing all right and then they use that for the header after the fact poor nicks i was gonna say that and when they wow. do show
0: like positive highlights it's like take out the score they just don't include the score at the bottom screen which is pretty smart in their parts. So it's like, yeah, things are going pretty well. And it's like, wait, no, they're down 30. What's going on?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's so about the Knicks. You're right that they are a oddly, to put it lightly, oddly constructed roster. And it's just what really jumped out that entire game was they don't have a single guy on the roster who could guard Giannis. And so once that happens, I think uh, the only guy really competently, and even then so that's a really big question part, would be Frank Niel- Nielakina, Kena frankie smokes aka um and he was out with an injury i do believe so it it couldn't even see that as an option so it was just pretty obvious from the get-go that nobody could stop Giannis, and once that started happening the ball kind of rolled downhill and like i said the rest of the roster is just so poorly slash oddly constructed david fisdale i mean not a great record there obviously he wasn't handed that many tools but i'm not sure if that was really all that enlightenment experience about him as a head coach either. So I'm not sure if there's much to take away other than the bucks went in and totally slaughtered a really bad team. And that's exactly what we should expect.
0: Yeah. they hit 16 threes in that game. So 16 to 35 shooting 45.7% from three. So everyone was getting shots in except Wes Matthews. Ironically it was one for five, but everyone else was hitting threes. And when you have that combination plus a team, that's not good. It's kind of just going to snowball after the fact. And, you know, when the Bucks went after the first quarter up 33 to 15 and then scoring, I think, what, 72 in the first half. It's, yeah. it's kind of tough to, like, yeah, take much from it because the New York Knicks as a roster, like they're starting five. They have competent NBA players. So, you know, you have Taj Gibson, who's still kicking it somehow. You have Julius Randle, who is a decent NBA player. Kevin Knox can be okay. R.J. Barrett, we still don't know. He's going to be a chucker. And how good of a chucker he is, we don't know. Dennis Smith Jr., not a terrible point guard, but not great. And then they still have, like, Bobby Portis and Wayne Ellington. And they have guys that are, like, you know, if you would take one of those players on your team, you'd be okay. But when you throw them all together, it's just not a good roster. And there's not really much that they can do. And, in terms, yeah, they don't have anyone that can guard you, the honestly. don't really have anyone that can – win them games, and I think that's kind of their point, but dark times in the garden.
1: Yeah, that. I mean, for for context's sake, for those five stars you just listed off, uh, they ended up going a combined 10 for 45 from the floor, and uh, on the opposite side, Giannis ended the game in 22 minutes. I think he probably could have stopped playing after the first quarter, to be honest with you, but ended with 22 minutes, 29 points, 15 rebounds, 3 assists, 3 of 4 for 3, and six eleven from the free throw line, uh, so obviously... <laughs> Just dominant. There's not really much more to talk about there, but there's a little bit more to talk about with the Pistons game. Uh, 127-103, like I said, not really the end result that's all that interesting um, because, again, it ended up being a slaughter by the end. But oddly enough, I'm not really sure what the reason is. I, I know that um, there are a lot of former Bucks on the Pistons now. I know that the Pistons got routed in the first round of the playoffs last year. But for some reason, there's this deep beef between the Bucks and the Pistons, and that would have been maybe a little more understandable when both teams are like bottom feeders trying to punch their way out of mediocrity. But now that the Bucks are this really dominant team, the Pistons are still stuck in the muck. I don't, I guess, I don't really understand where the animosity comes from. But uh, where, where were your thoughts on the Pistons games? Just kind of overview, and we can go in deeper from there. Yeah, I guess
0: I feel like maybe it just got to the point where Detroit's just sick of getting their ass kicked every time by the Bucs, because <laughs> even if you go back two year, like the last two years, there haven't been that many close Bucs games, and I don't think the Bucs have lost to the Pistons. I don't remember the last time it happened. So you I want to say like it's 10 straight. I want to
1: say it's 10 straight for the Bucs over the Pistons, I'm pretty sure. Yeah,
0: because they've definitely won. They swept them last year in the playoffs, swept them during the Regular season and now this year, so yeah, we're looking at at least ten plus. I'm pretty sure year before they had one or two wins from them. So I think they're just getting sick of losing to this team, and especially when you have someone like Blake Griffin, who I think he himself is just sick of getting bullied around by Giannis and wants to try and stand up for himself. I don't know, and maybe and like I said, maybe there's something that has been said during matches that's just annoyed Blake Griffin since, but. Yeah, it seems like they're just getting sick of having their asses kicked, and I don't blame them. I would probably get sick of it as well. And But even the former Bucks that were on this roster, you know, Tim Frazier only played three minutes of garbage time. Thon Baker only played three minutes of garbage time. Christian Wood kind of got a little bit of run off the bench, but he didn't really do much getting stuffed by Robin Lopez at the end and then coming back with a slam dunk. Uh, Tony Snell, he had a typical Tony Snell game, you know, seven points only hit one of four threes, didn't really get many rebounds or assists. So it's just it's a, it's a weird roster that I feel like they need to get rid of Blake Griffin and just complete do a complete teardown. Cause them chasing because they're like I think we said this last week, they're chasing an A-seed at best, and then getting smoked by Milwaukee again. And there's not really that many good pieces on the roster besides Luke Kennard who is out injured and blake griffin so i feel like they just have to part ways with both of them and just start over
1: yeah they kind of feel like where the bucks were at during the latter years of that michael red contract where it's just like god this is and obviously the dollar amounts are so different now compared to even a decade ago but it's this big millstone where the guy was deserving of the contract at some point or another but you just for Red, it was obviously injuries. Blake, to a certain extent, also kind of injury issue as well. But it just fading, and yet still getting paid a lot of money, which is something you could worry about with like a Chris Middleton, for example. We haven't seen that so far. So when you have that going on, I mean, and, and you theoretically go to this guy as your main, especially offensive weapon, and he, he has an off night four seventeen. This is Blake Griffin, I should say, four seventeen from the floor, two of eight from three. He got ten rebounds, ended up getting sixteen points and three assists, but really his biggest contribution to the game was pissing off off. And then Giannis scored like 15 straight points and he made a couple of back to back threes. And it's just a uh, a point. Like, okay, this is cute and everything, but we are clearly the better team. And I, I think what's also interesting, like I said, a little bit more difficult to get a real idea of a test between the bucks and the Pistons. I mean, when you don't have Luke Kennard out there, that, that makes it difficult for the Pistons. But it, it is interesting in that there's not a lot of teams that employ a traditional center like an Andre Drummond, and yet, even though he had a good offensive game, he went 11 17 at 23 points and his usual 14 rebounds. That didn't seem to be that much of a hindrance to, especially Giannis. And part of that can be credited to the fact that even though Brook Lopez isn't making threes at like the rate that he was previously the system still works where you have this imposing center you can nullify it at least with a team that's not as good like the pistons and we're just seeing at work here all these different forces the bucks have already set up for themselves coming into play dominating and then obviously it's a little chippy it's a little emotional and eventually the Bucks kind of pull away in the third quarter and it's that's all she wrote essentially
0: yeah it's also one of those where another contributing night from everyone on the floor you know, the bench getting a, getting their dues in. Deidre Wilson, six points. Ersan and Robin Lopez, 10 points each. Dante and Kyle Korver getting 15 combined. It just seemed like everyone was able to contribute in some meaningful way. Even a guy like George Hill, who didn't get any baskets, go in. He was still able to get four rebounds, dish out three assists. You know, another... It was a better night for Eric Bledsoe, but it was still a relatively quiet night for him. Like, Brooke Lopez only played 18 minutes which is shocking, which also spoke more to the need to go with more of a center Urson and center Giannis lineup, along with just the fact that the Bucks were blowing this team out and didn't need to play them in garbage time. So it was kind of interesting to see that. I, again, there's not really much that we can take out of it besides Giannis is better than everyone on the court. The Bucks are better than the Pistons, and they just did their business and continued just on this ridiculous winning streak.
1: Yeah, and I should note just because I want to keep track of this in my mind as we go along for the season. First game, the Bucks played against the Pistons. Bucks won that one one hundred four ninety. They increased their winning march or margin of victory one twenty seven one hundred three. So I would like to keep an eye because again, it feels like Terminator Giannis has evolved into this <laughs> super lethal weapon where he plays one team. Okay, maybe you kind of get me, kind of figure me out for a little bit, but then I will figure you out and then impose my will. So I think. That's interesting, but otherwise, yeah, the Pistons ain't going anywhere. And it would be our absolute pleasure, Pistons fans, all 10 of you guys out there, to face you again in the first round. So <laughs> good luck the rest of the season. I think, I don't know, we'll probably play them in a couple of weeks. But more importantly, the top game, the marquee game this week, and really, who could have, I don't know if I would say I saw this coming, but the Bucs end up slaughtering the Clippers, and the final score does not give it justice, 119-91. to 91, Uh I think the margin of victory is almost up to 40, 50 points right at some point. I mean, it was it, it, got, it got ugly for quite a bit for the Clippers. So I, I will give you the floor first, Kyle, but you can tear into whoever you want. You can laugh at the haters. You can you can declare right now that the Bucks are NBA champions. We can just end the podcast forever. Whatever you want to do, I leave it to you.
0: It was kind of funny because, yeah, I think I went at the end of the third quarter and the Bucks were up, I think, like twenty something. It was like twenty twenty one, not too much. And then I had to take my dog out because I realized it was like near ten p.m. I come back and all of a sudden they're up forty one points, and I'm just thinking, what the hell happened? <laughs> <laughs> like it was kind of like that Paul Rudd where it was just like, what happened here? And that was kind of the thought process I had. But it was Milwaukee's, I think, best defensive performance of the season. The oh yeah, stymied the Clippers offense to a grounding halt. You know, Pat Beverly was only two of seven. Paul George was five of twelve, which, you know, he was three of six from three, but he was still five of twelve in the field. Kawhi Leonard was five of fourteen. Moharkless was only one of six. Like Lou Williams was five of thirteen. Just they were just limiting guys. And they only held the Clippers to eight total three pointers made, which that's pretty impressive in it itself. And other than Paul George, no one was really a threat on the Clippers. It was just Milwaukee's defense and a lot of it was Brooke Lopez just shutting down any paint touches, forcing them to take mid range shots again, not letting them shoot threes. This was the kind of performance that when you think of the Budenholzer defense at its peak with this with a drop zone scheme, this is what you picture. This is what you want you know, no little shots at the rim, not many looks from three, forcing a lot of mid range shots. And I mean, the Clippers were cold. All game, it was you know the first quarter they only had fifteen points, yeah. third quarter they only scored nineteen. Yeah. They were just cold throughout the whole match, and it didn't. It felt like after halftime, Milwaukee really just decided, okay, we're gonna take this and we're gonna run with it because it was you. Because we all thought, I'm sure at one point, like, okay, the Bucks are up, up, Bucks are up a good amount at halftime, but this is still the Clippers, this is still Kawhi, this is still Paul George. Don't want to automatically write it off yet, and they just. Bludgeoned them. And I think the craziest stat was Robin Lopez was a minus 15 somehow in 12 minutes of
1: play. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out, Robin. Yep. I think gone. he was there
0: in the like peak garbage time when the Clippers made the score look more respectable. But Pat Conanton getting a plus 35, <laughs> five mm-hmm. of five. Yeah. And I think that's really when things broke open because the bucks offense was also struggling at the beginning. And Conanton came in and he hit back to back threes. And I think Dante hit a three and that's when Milwaukee was starting to get get some distance from the Clippers, but I think the biggest thing to highlight was the big defense. It was phenomenal, and I have not seen Milwaukee perform that well defensively since Game Two of the Eastern Conference Finals.
1: Yeah, I think I I need to eat my words as usual. Wes Wes washed watch. I could have chosen a way easier title to say that. than that, by the way, he. Offensively, though, so three or five, I, I have yet to pull up his three-point numbers. I will do that shortly just for the season so we can keep track of that. But I want to say, was it Kane Pittman who put it out on Twitter? I think it was him. Something along the lines of Wes Matthews had guarded Kawhi Leonard for 20 and a half partial possessions, I believe is what it ended up making. So he was the main man assignment. And I don't believe Kawhi scored a single point in those in that time where Wes was the assigned main defender and I think maybe there might have been a couple points here or there but the fact that they were able to hold Kawhi to 17 points 5 of 14 from the floor and he only gets off two three-point shots gets the four assists five rebounds so he, he does okay but this is like the ideal of last season where you you had Chris for example trying to defend him it just wasn't working out he was Kawhi was obviously playing at such a high level but I went into a game like this and this is super instructive. And again, it's early in the season, but you see a guy like Wes Matthews where I, I rewatched the game earlier today. And there are so many positions where you can, it, it seems like he's, I don't know if he's warmed up for the season, if he's more comfortable in the scheme, what it happens to be, but he seems to have so much more energy. And there was a lot of times where they tried to set up Zubach as like the one, two man game with him and Kawhi to essentially use him as a pillar to get Kawhi open for either a mid ranger, just let him give him a second to read the floor essentially. And yet, Wes did a really, really good job of not over committing one way or another and really blowing and making the decision for Kawhi. He was able to keep, kind of keep either close enough or at least not over commit one direction or another. And that forced Kawhi to hold on for a second. It's no longer as. You know, smooth for the Clippers. And thus, it's difficult for the rest of the offense to kind of really get into a rhythm where it becomes this almost like ISO man game on the outside perimeters, quash figuring things out. So, I want to give a shout out to Wes for that kind of performance because I think that's critical and going to be exactly what the team needs come playoff time. And I also want to give a shout out, like you were saying, the defense in this game, heights of the system, and the success of it, and why you could say that the defense is so much more important and so much more of a signature for the Bucks is Brooke Lopez doesn't have himself a great offensive game. He ends up scoring six points, but he goes over five from three two of 12 from the floor gets two free throws, only three rebounds. He also has the three blocks. And like you were saying, he seamlessly time after time functions so well in his drop zone defensive role and against a team like the Clippers, where they have a guy like Montrez Harrell, or they have guys who can also get inside, like Kawhi Leonard, like Paul George, and even Zubash to a certain extent as well, to have all those different guys and be able to absorb that and not let them run amok and force them to have other looks, more difficult looks... Like you said, this was the peak, and it's difficult to say whether or not they'll be able to replicate this in the future because the Clippers are kind of figuring things out. Kawhi only got added back in after he's still load managing. I know Paul George just came back, I want to say, it's like two weeks ago, I believe. Um, so they're still figuring things out, but you are correct that there there was a lot of good signs here where we know, at least against the Clippers as they're currently constructed, we have the possibility of being able to stop them pretty routinely. And once it kind of gets going, we've seen the Bucks time after time, especially as of late, really put it on teams in the second half, which I think is a positive sign as well. So I think all that kind of combines to say you should be feeling pretty good if you're a Bucks fan right now. Now whether or not this holds up until like the playoffs, who knows, but it's pretty good sign so far.
0: Yeah, and I was going to say, like to- – Feed into West Matthews' performance in the 23 minutes he played, he had a 70.8 defensive rating, which was the third lowest. Oh, Jesus, uh, only er- only Urson and Pat Connaughton had a lower defensive rating. Like Urson was a 38.5, which I don't know how that happened because it seemed like every time there's a center Urson lineup, I was hating every moment of it. And Pat yeah. Connaughton said, again, when he was in, he was a spark plug, and that's when the Bucks' defense seemed to be flying at its best with the bench unit. But yeah, Wes Matthews' defense has been fantastic. Brooke Lopez still had a 86 defensive range, which is still pretty good. Had a defensive rebound 8% of 10.3, which is about what he's used to. But it's still relatively impressive given that, you know, he's not shooting the ball well. But when Brooke is still defending this well, you can't take him out. And, you know, he's building a decent res- like a decent resume to be considered a all-defensive player. Yeah. Or this early in the season, which I didn't think he would get that high, but I guess it was kind of like, it's kinda of like Eric Bledsoe last year, where you don't realize how good his defense has been until you start looking at it and other people are talking about it and other people are mentioning how impressive Brooks' defense has been. So yeah, just top to bottom, a fantastic performance. How again, how sustainable that's going to be, we don't know, but that's the kind of performance that makes you think, yes, this team can steamroll through the east and at least make the nba finals now can they replicate it enough to make the finals i don't know but this was as good of a performance as we could have asked for especially against an, an opponent as highly rated as the la clippers
1: yeah and, and there's one more thing i want to mention as well you know we probably a couple of things to have about but what really also jumped out to me and again it's Two games now at this point, and you could maybe put an asterisk against the first one because they didn't have Kawhi or Paul George. But you come into this game and you look at it okay, we're finally getting like pretty much full health Clippers against full health Bucks. Let's see how it goes. And we've heard for a really, really, really long time. Uh, and by really, really long, I mean the six months since Paul George and Kawhi teamed up in LA about how impressive and how dominating the Clippers will be because of their depth. And maybe that will show through. They're a difficult team to evaluate. I have to admit, I don't watch a lot of Clippers basketball when they're not actually playing the Bucks. I've watched like a couple of games here or there, but they're difficult to evaluate because they have specific goals. Like we're just doing the playoffs. So you can kind of try and discount all the games. But I think you could almost argue almost from the entire top of the roster to the bottom of the roster of all the guys who played, the Bucks outclassed the Clippers almost position for position. Now, part of that is because of how good the talent is. Giannis, obviously really good. Shout out Chris Middleton, big game. Guy did not shy away from it. He got 17 points, three, three from three, exactly what the team needed, and five assists as well. Eric Bledsoe, not the best offensive night, but he also kind of moves the ball a little bit as well. Gets five assists. And then you get into the bench, and what was remarkable, really probably what we can look forward to the rest of the season, maybe the talent, like player to player isn't as high for this team but because the scheme works so well like no matter who you have out there and you have the right guys to help kind of shepherd it along even if it's not the best talent on the floor like a george hill who's kind of keeping the offense going robin lopez as he tries to figure out how to play defense maybe that'll work out someday i I just think that's what was most encouraging and maybe i don't know you you tell me is that also encouraging to you or do you kind of think as you're looking at that do you worry going to the playoffs we saw this story a little bit last year this just looks even more dominant are we concerned that there will be a team that's able to figure it out and we're just not going to see it in the regular season is that something that we have yet to see tested and we'll see how it works
0: i guess the only thing i could think of is i just don't know there's not that many teams that i could look at with the person say that would be the team the closest three I can think of are Miami Heat, Toronto Raptors, and the Sixers. And that's just because defensively they have guys that are better. Like Boston, I don't think would be – I don't think Boston's defense can stay with Milwaukee's. I, I think they've gotten better in terms of chemistry, and I think Ken Walker is a better player in terms of what they want to do offensively than Kyrie ever was. But it's still – I just don't think defensively they can stop the Bucks. Miami have a few guys that are kind of annoying, and again, how much they're going to be able to gel, potentially. Toronto and Philly, I'd say Toronto's really the biggest threat out of any of those teams, just because they still have Serge Ibaka, they still have Marcus they'll still have Pascal Siakam, and yeah, they're not as good as Kawhi was there, but they still are good enough that they'll and Nick Nurse seems to know what it would take to slow down the Milwaukee offense and Philly like I said Philly's gonna have a great defense just a matter of how garbage their offense is going to be if they can get past the first round so I'm not too concerned at the moment but it is one of those where if there is a team out there I would say Toronto or Philly would be the
1: only two yeah and I think it's really instructive that you put that you couch it in terms of the Eastern Conference like the, given the start that the Bucks have had, it's really easy to kind of get into not la-la land, but to automatically jump like, okay, we're going to the finals. But last year, everybody assumed we were going to the finals as well. And that ended up not being the case. I, I think that is instructive and really helpful to kind of think about it as Eastern Conference team first and foremost. Because once they get to the finals, I mean, at that point, it's anything goes. So I, I agree that probably you're right that the personnel question is one. I would worry more so about the coaching because much as I love coach bud and as awesome as the system he's instituted is, we did see him get, you know, proverbially pants by Nick nurse last year and make me yeah. look like an idiot. So thanks a lot, coach bud. But is that going to happen again? Is messiah year going to be able to find one more scrap heap guy and plug that in? Or alternatively is the system so down for Milwaukee? Is there, are they going to be able to find like a bio guy that, solidifies enough where it doesn't even matter if the coaching goes against the Bucs. are so good executing it that it really is a moot point. So I, I guess it's so difficult. This is hard, Kyle. It's hard to be a team. It, it, I know this sounds like, uh, what's the phrase? I, I'm complaining about the most awesome situation ever, like being the best team in the NBA. But it, this whole, the regular season doesn't really matter thing. It, it's To me, it's a little frustrating just because – at what point can I start caring? At what point can we start taking away like real information? So that's that's where my conundrum's coming from right now.
0: Yeah, and I think for me, I think the biggest thing is the regular season doesn't matter as much, and if anything, the regular season is more just to look and see if there's any fine tuning that this team needs. What is it going to be? Because last year it, the regular season did matter because. You know, they wanted to prove that they are this top team. They want to get that home court advantage. They wanted to get the number one seed. And now this year, it's more, we just got to make sure that everything is near perfection come playoff time and we stay healthy. I don't think there's anything more that this team can do besides, you know, maybe one or two small roster moves. And that's, again, kind of like the, you're making, it's kind of more the margins, that's what I think the big thing with the regular season is how do we improve the margins? Cause last year, yeah, they were a weird Fred Van Vliet shooting night away from possibly winning game five, but then you still have to think, well, they didn't, would they have won game seven anyway, mm-hmm. considering how that series was going and how the poor Giannis and Chris and everyone was those last four game, those last three games, especially. So that's kind of the thing. Like there's a lot of slim margins in that Toronto series that everyone has in the back of their head where, if one thing bounces differently, they win game three. Okay, then what happens? Or, again, game five, if that goes differently, what happens? Game four was complete. That was not going to be a game that they were going to win. Game six was kind of that same situation where they had that, and then they were they just lost control of it near the end. So those are the things that I think why the regular season so matters is because you have to fine-tune and make sure that those margins are, you know, you slim those margins of error as much as you can.
1: Yeah, it, I agree with a lot of that. The The only thing is to all the fine-tuning, you need to actually like be willing to do some fine-tuning. Now, I think I, I'm comfortable in saying I'm pretty basketball literate in terms of X and O's. And I'm sure, like Brian, for example, he he would tell me, and a lot of the people who are more in tune would tell me that the Bucks have been maybe experimenting a little bit more. I know on defense, especially early in the season, it seemed like they had a slightly different look, whether it was compensating for injury, who knows. But it doesn't seem like the bucks do a lot of experimentation on the fly, which is fine because it's difficult to do game by game during the course of a season to really be like, okay, we're, we're going to try and do like, here's a couple of possessions of let's just try the Brooke Lopez into your offense. For example, like he'll go inside and there, there are broader changes in the way that his shot pro- profile looks, but we're not seeing really like here, here's an experimental lineup besides when bud runs out those like all sub lineups and the team, you know, whatever. Goes, let's say the team go on a 10 0 run or whatever the situation is. But I agree that it's a lot of the margins. I just wonder are we going to be able to see the team really working on the margins? There is a lot of that happening behind closed doors, and we'll see how it pays off in the payoffs. Which, you know, if that's how it is, that is how it is. But it, it does make it a little bit difficult to evaluate the team from the outside, just in the larger context of the, of the league. Yeah. No, yep. that all makes sense. And that, I think, is something that, again,
0: maybe trade deadline, we'll see what happens. I would definitely start looking at some of those Western Conference teams that are in a good spot, maybe the San Antonio Spurs, maybe the Portland Trailblazers. I would love for the Kings to make a stupid decision, but <laughs> those are the I think those are that's what I'm going to be there curious on is while they're working on things behind the scenes, are they going to try and make a move and if you do, who are you parting ways with? And cuz they still have that in the first round which I expect them to use as trade bait. Yeah, me too.
1: That that'll be we'll see if executive of the year john horse can make that happen i doubt they hold on to that it holds not that much value but who knows i mean i don't know we've seen crazier things happen we thought the Cavs were going to get rid of that brooklyn pick and they did not and it turned into uh colin sexton so we'll, we'll see but final point on the clippers game national media members we all know you're listening adam silver i know you're listening everybody who shows for the clippers we know you're listening stop it You're ridiculous at this point. (laughs) Just stop it. Come on. I need to see a couple of people. I want to see people man up or woman up, whatever it happens to be, and admit that they were wrong. Because I heard a lot of people crowning the Clippers. And yes, there are huge asterisks. Yes, the Clippers do load management. Yes, they're trying to figure it on the fly. But I want people to just quiet down for a little bit. Because we've seen in two games now, one a lot more real than the other, that the Bucs are clearly the better organization and clearly the better team. And I don't want to hear about Kawhi Leonard and the Claw and Paul George being best buddies. I don't care. I really don't. Talk about the Bucs more because the Bucks are awesome. That's all I have to say about that.
0: Yeah, I think there's only two teams that have proven they are legit contenders, and that's the Bucs and the Lakers. I think there's a lot of good teams out there, you know, like the Mavericks, the Clippers, I would still call it a good team. Toronto, I'd still call it a good team. And that's really it. And then there's
1: everyone else. Yeah, it's here's the deal, everyone. LA is still a Lakers town. That's it. Okay. That's the, that's what we've established so far this season. It doesn't matter that the Clips were able to swing all these players. It doesn't matter. L.A. is still a Lakers town. And for the first time in a long time, I'm happy to say that. And with that, we close our first segment here. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to have a word from our sponsors, a couple ads, and we will be back in just a moment. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready
0: for the big tournament. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void where prohibited. Here's worth the snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com.
1: right, and we are back for part two of the podcast here. So not too, too much to discuss here. I, I did want to talk with you, Kyle. We're a little over a quarter of the way through the season. I think probably into, I don't know, 30% or so couple of things i wanted to run by you first off first biggest surprise of the season biggest disappointment of the season that could be a player that could be something that doesn't even have to be with the bucks necessarily it could be a team-wide thing whatever about the nba this year team or wider on that jumps out to you as a really big surprise or something that's disappointed you so far
0: okay i'll do a team and a league one so for the team biggest surprise i would say uh, Brooke Lopez' defense has been, again, near all NBA defensive team quality, which we knew he was capable of it, and we knew like his defense was going to be a valuable asset, but the fact that his defense has been significantly better than his offense, I don't think anyone would have predicted going into this year. Um, in terms of league-wide, I would actually say how good Toronto has been despite losing Kawhi Leonard, and I was not one of those that thought they were going to be a bona fide contender. But I think they're one of the few teams, I think they're the only team really in the East that can threaten Milwaukee. And I did not expect that. And maybe part of it is that PTSD from how they did before, but just how they've been playing, how Siakam has taken that leap, how Fred Van Vliet has been a good role player. I just think it's one of those where if I'm Milwaukee, I wouldn't want to see Toronto in the second round. You would hope that they would get maybe the second third seed instead but they've just been really impressive, and I want to give kudos to them because I was definitely wrong so far. Um, in terms of disappointment, on the
1: Buck side, I it's kind of Sorry, weird. you can say Robin. It's fine. The, I mean, you were actually down on Robin. I shouldn't say that. You were you were an early it's kind of hard disbeliever. Yeah, it's kind of
0: hard to be down on him when
1: <laughs> when you were already at the basement. You were at zero. More the fact that he
0: keeps being run out with this like, as a center with Giannis lineups, and I don't think they work. And it's getting and I think really that with Urson, it's more if he's not taking charges and if he's not hitting shots, it's really tough for me to think that he should be getting playing time and especially come like come playoff time. It's going to be, I don't care if you have to do both Brook and Robin Lopez, because at least you can justifiably defensively, it makes more sense. But he's just he's been more disappointed in the fact that. His shot's not falling. It seems like he hasn't been exposed as badly, but I'm afraid he's going to get exposed really, really poorly. So that I guess would be the team disappointment. And in terms of the league disappointment, you know, I gotta say Utah jazz have looked pretty poor overall. I mean, they have a point differential of 0.5, which that's not great. And it's, I mean, the West is kind of poor in general this year, so they're still comfortably in a playoff spot. But you know, for all the talk of this team could potentially be a third, like a second or third seed in the West, I haven't seen anything from them that makes me convinced on that point. I think, I think a lot of the time, Mike Conley, who I do like as a player, he has not played well at all, and it's really going to fall on Donovan Mitchell to be really, really good. And I just don't know how much of that he's going to be able to do. So I would say the Utah Jazz have been my league-wide disappointment.
1: All right, I, I think that's broadly. I, I would think I would agree with all of that. So for my surprises of the season, I think you can go with two for the Bucks themselves. One, Dante, and this is. So, sorry, should I should I answer this? It's now time for Dante's Inferno. <laughs> We can use it together i think i can be a professional basketball player and so with dante it's not so much that i didn't expect him to do stuff because i think everybody by the end of last season in the six minutes that he played that we we found out that he could do stuff so it wasn't a concern about that it was more so how well he, he would do stuff and how good the three-point shot looks and the fact that he seems pretty healthy so i would give all around it's really easy to point at the guy who's in the second year going from his rookie to be like hey that guy's way improved but i I think he's the most obvious player candidate and then for the team wide what i would say is most surprising is it seems like it maybe it's, it's probably more so the bucks themselves but it seems like no other team has been able to figure out how to stop the bucks effectively and there was a couple of teams at the start of the year really like let's just do what the raptors did and we'll just wall them and i mean that worked for a second but the bucks ended up figuring that out and so i'm really surprised that no coaching staff that we've come up against so far this season I'll we'll have quite a number of teams they haven't played yet but that none of them have been able to really solve it just yet and again it's hard to game plan but i figured somebody would have come up with something by now and then league wide kyle how sh- how annoying should i be right now should i be really annoying Go for it. I'm a, maybe I'm not surprised. I'll just say, I think everybody else is surprised that Malcolm Brogdon's is an all-star people. <laughs> and that's all I, I don't know that I, I thought felt like that would be, have a lot more pop to it. I, don't, I guess uh, the, the, yeah, they, <laughs> that the Pacers, uh, yeah, Point counterpoint at uh, that. The Pacers don't suck. And I, I think maybe if I was to choose another team, I would almost go for Miami. I think th- that's not surprising just because, uh, Oh, I can't remember his coach's name right now. This is always Eric really Spolstra. embarrassing. Thank you. Eric Spolstra. Uh, he's obviously a really, really good coach and they have a decent amount of talent. But to be the third seed in the East so far, early season, it looked pretty dominant, especially on the defensive end. Uh, you know, something to keep an eye on. And then disappointments. That's a little bit more difficult just because when you're a team that's 20 and three, what else do you have to really complain about? I would say maybe Kyle Corver. How many minutes he's played and how bad he looks on defense, I think you kind of go in and you're like, oh, maybe maybe if it's okay, like I mean, really, really, really borderline, maybe we'll be able to make this work and just the offense will function well enough that it won't matter. I'm not sure if that's the case. I would say that's probably my biggest disappointment, just because Ursan, I mean, you're right that it, it's difficult to tell with him because he comes comes and goes. Uh but with Kyle, I, I think. I'm not sure if the experiment is up. We talked about this previously, but my hopes are not super high that he's going to really round into farm and dominate at some point this season or like get his defensive efforts or ability up even just a hair enough to justify being out there. So that would be my player disappointment. And then for league wide, hmm, I'm going through the standings, maybe the Pellies just cause it's not, Of their own making because obviously Zion. Yeah, it's kind of
0: tough for them just because they have so many injuries, but they've lost eight in a row. And I feel like
1: that team's still decent enough where the parts around it.
0: But again, injuries have crushed that team almost as badly as the Blazers.
1: Yeah, the biggest disappointment is that the league bought so high into the Zion hype, which understandable as it was, definitely a risk. And now everybody's subjected to 60 Pelicans games the entire season on national TV broadcast. So That would be my uh, biggest disappointment. Bad on you, Leak. Do better, though. Obviously, you couldn't predict that. And then the other theme I'd hit on real quick before we get to wrap fire and wrap things up is I have written down here strengths and weaknesses as we see them. Now, this is with the team in general. I think you and I and I think most people are broadly in agreement about the strengths for this team, how well the drop zone works. Giannis existing is a huge strength for the team. The five out offense functioning as well as it does. Uh, the role that Eric Bledsoe can play both on both ends, the role that Chris can play, et cetera, et cetera, the depth. There's a whole bunch of things that are strengths. I'm more curious, in your opinion, what kind of things jump out to you, whether it be one big thing or a couple of small things, what do you see on this 23 team that you would say, this is a weakness or something, let's keep an eye on that, let's maybe work on that a little bit, as we as we said earlier, fine-tune throughout the regular season in preparation for the playoffs?
0: I would say the lack of a clear cut plan B. Because as we as we were talking about early in the season, when the Bucs aren't hitting their shots, they weren't getting to the rim as effectively. And a lot of that was because Eric Bledsoe wasn't at 100%. But when you look at the roster, there's two guys, Eric and Giannis, that have the ability to get the ball at the three-point line and be able to get that dribble penetration to get an easy layup or have the defense cave in there's not really anyone on that roster that can do that like george hill is probably third on the team that's able to do it but i think that's still a slight weakness of this team is like when the shots aren't falling how much of your offense are you going to be able to just like to just get two points the hard way and that i think is a slight weakness i think the defense has been a lot better i know we were bemoaning about how good teams were shooting how much of that was wide open threes how much of that is good just abnormal shooting nights that seems to have leveled off so i think it's just more of a if the bucks aren't hitting their own shots are they able to grind out and get tough two-point baskets and i think with chris middleton that kind of falls on him but the lack of either getting guys that can get good mid-range looks or getting guys that can penetrate to the rim is a slight concern
1: Yeah, I think for mine, the biggest thing that'll jump out and I do want to give a plug here in a moment, but the biggest thing that jumps out to me is the three point attempts that opponents are taking. Uh, Let me pull up the numbers here real quick, just to see where we're at. Yeah, so the numbers have dropped off a little bit, but as of a week ago. The Bucks were worst in the league. They're pretty close to worst in the league in terms of numbers of three-pointers made and three-pointers attempted by an opponent, as you just brought up. Now, the percentage of that make 36.7, that's bottom third in the league as well. So none of those are really jumping out as super encouraging now. As we've seen, that doesn't seem to really matter all that much because they're able to stifle everything else opponents are doing, and they're trying to selectively choose who gets three-pointers. But I do want to give a plug for, I believe sorry, my friend, if I pronounce this, but Lowhouse fan, uh, who is a commenter over at Brew Hoop, he put up fan post together. It was October 31st, so a little bit a while ago, but if you go in the archive, you'll find it. He put together this really extensive post, essentially detailing and trying to figuring out what does this high number of threes that the opponent is getting, what what does that mean in terms of defensive impact and how well it'll work over the course of a season and if opponents try and take advantage of it. Really interesting stuff, but I think reading that and kind of looking at the team, I do worry about that a little bit just because that's the most obvious thing that the Bucks are trying to do. Now, when you do the drop zone, it's difficult for an opponent to penetrate the interior just because of the way that's set up. So how do other teams like a well-coached Toronto team with Nick Nurse or maybe like a Spolster team, how are they going to take advantage of that? And if that starts becoming a legitimate problem, if they have a couple of guys who get hot or whatever the situation is, how do the Bucs respond to that? And do they have another plan? Because last year it didn't seem like they had too much of a plan. And yes, maybe you talking about like, you know what? Fred Van Vliet, he, he went God mode for four games and that just sunk the season. That just was, is what it was. I'm not sure if I feel comfortable with leaving it up to that. I would love to see some sort of sign when the time comes that the Bucks are able to kind of lock down on that, because I feel like that's something that opponents are going to key in on because in the year 2019, 2020, there's not a, like a ton of dudes who are really, really bad three-point shooters. The three-point shooting league gets better and better even every season. And so if that's the case, what does that mean for the Bucks over the course of seven games? And are they able to adjust for that if opponents really start hitting on that?
0: Yeah, that's all fair. And I think as we mentioned with everyone shooting threes, there's just going to be a lot of high-variance games where one game you're going to shoot 32% in the game you're going to shoot 43 that's just the nature of the league at the moment so it's just a matter of when you are having those 32% shooting nights can you get those buckets can that zone drop scheme do enough to mitigate or at least control those nights where someone's shooting 40% and yeah maybe they shoot 40% but they only took 23s which isn't as bad compared to if they took if they shoot 40% they're taking 35 shots that's yeah such a high variance so I think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch, especially since every team is going that route.
1: Yeah. And I think if, if I was to choose one other weakness, quick, before we move on to rapid fire, I don't want to say this about Eric because I do like Eric a lot, but I think it's still fair to say, if you were to look up and down the roster, say this guy might still be a weakness. Now he's averages the season pretty good still, obviously. And he, he's running in form defensively, but I still think, it's we're all in show show me mode like we're waiting for this guy in in a series that's more impactful than against the pistons and sort against the celtics like let's see something a little bit more consistent like the eastern conference finals or lord willing the finals itself so I, I would say if i was to look at like a specific player where you expect them to be a contributor and you're worried it'd probably be eric is there another guy like another mainline contributor you'd be worried about besides eric
0: I I think Brooke Lopez might be another one I would consider just because, you know, the big thing why he was brought back is his three point shooting and how it how that's creates enough of a driving lane for Giannis and Eric and when he's not hitting shots. And I know Brian wrote a great piece about how teams are not giving him as much respect, and I think that might be a concern. His defense has still been fantastic, but I just worry that if Brooke Lopez goes through another cold shooting series. How much is that going to affect the offense once the game slows down and teams are more able to focus on, you know, be able to game plan and focus specifically on a certain opponent?
1: Yeah, and just so everybody knows, uh Brooke Lopez so far this season shooting twenty seven point nine percent from three, that's on five attempts a game, uh, and he's playing twenty six point five minutes a game. So not as high as you would like. Now it's obviously not basement dweller sorts of numbers where you really have to be like, but compared to last season where he shot 36.5, the year before that 34.5 year before that 34.6, this is a real outlier in terms of his percentages. I I would agree completely that that's something to keep an eye on. And it's maybe just like every other shooter, he goes through a cold stretch and he kind of runs into form or he has a hot stretch here or there, which helps even things out. But you know, to go through 23 games and uh, still not really have clicked into the next level of like another 10 percentage points that that's something to be worried about. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so with that strengths and weaknesses out of the way, because there's not that many weaknesses, let's be honest. We're just kind of keeping it. We're keeping honestly
0: it... trying to find a
1: weakness. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're, we're grasping for straws. It's based pretty much exclusively on, well, they kind of had a tough series last year, so that's something I'm still sort of worried about. And we can't figure out whether or not that's a legitimate weakness until about six months from now. So instead of worrying about the future, we are going to go into the right now. Because Kyle, I have our next edition of Rapid Fire Questions if you are ready.
0: I am ready. Let's go.
1: All right, here we go. We will start with number one. Kyle Corver will quote win the Bucks a playoff game. That can mean whatever you want. Will you think do you think there will be one game in the playoffs that people can say, you know what? Kyle Corver won this for us.
0: No, because I wow. don't think Pat is still going to be on the roster. Oh my goodness. That's a I, heck of a take. I legit think he's going to be part of a trade package to get someone else. I don't know I who, think- but I just have a gut feeling like it's going to be him, maybe Ursa or Pat Connaughton and the indie first round pick.
1: I think the only thing that would hold that back would be, I believe because he signed a one-year deal and I'm not a CBA expert, but, but I believe if you do a one-year deal, you automatically get uh, a no trade clause on that. So he would have to weigh that if that was the case. But I generally agree with you, whether it be a trade or even just the bucks cutting him completely to open up a roster spot for somebody else, that would not surprise me at all. Just, I think I would agree with you that it's Strangely enough, Dragon Bender might be more valuable question mark than Kyle Korver just because you have the youth you can kind of sell yourself on. Whereas if Kyle's just not there defensively, you might feel more comfortable moving on from him. Just open up that roster spot that way to see if there's a buyout guy who might be more valuable than Kyle. So
0: yeah, and I guess like the only thing I can also consider is he just won't play in the playoffs at all. And yeah. I there might be that underlying feeling of if we get rid of Kyle Corver, someone else might pick him up. So I think they might just stash onto him but i don't i just don't think he's going to win a bucks a playoff
1: game. How awful would that be? He wins a playoff game for one of the other rivals. <laughs> like, yeah. He has a whole season just playing not wonderful defense and he wins another game. That would be ultimate poetic justice. Uh second question, favorite cheese. Gouda. Nice, okay. Uh these two options, which would you rather have? You get one ring with Giannis, but his whole career is spent as a buck or You get three rings with Giannis, but he leaves. Let's say he signs his next contract, but it's like a three- or four-year contract. It's not the full five-year. So you get three, but he moves on to another team after the next contract.
0: I think I would take the one, just because A, Giannis would stay, and B, at least there would be a championship. The only thing I would say is, depending on what team he would move to, would change my answer. But I think I'm going to stick with one championship, but Giannis stays a buck forever
1: i think that would be my answer as well like i'm I'm sure it's weird because just a year ago the raptors i mean the raptors like the i'm not going to use any sort of curses but the the really mediocre raptors organization won a championship and i'm not a raptors fan obviously but it felt like the whole world moved on really really quickly and so as cherished as that would be for the fans or like i'm not sure if it holds wider significance I, i would kind of agree with you where i would love more than one championship but if we can get it once and then you have on top of that i think i think a lot of people think it's really awesome when a superstar really iconic player stays with a single team their entire career and i think it would be really poetic with Giannis. so i would agree with that and if it's one two or three i mean i don't get too hyped up in like the historical context i just want to win one with Giannis just to make this whole ride worthwhile so i agree with you there
0: Yeah. And I think also, like a player like Dirk, like, think about like Dirk's legacy is always going to be a legend because he stayed with the Mavericks and won them only one title, but he's still going to be cemented as a legend. And I think that would be really cool to have Giannis get that treatment as well.
1: Yeah. And there's like guys like LeBron where he his legend is still solidified just because of how overwhelmingly good he is on the court, even though he's moved from a bunch of different teams, a little mercenary, like even, you know, obviously the Cleveland thing that's, that's unique in its own regard. But I, I agree that there's something even more significant. And it, this is like Kobe too, where it's like, he has this army of stands and he'll always have this pull because he played with, and obviously he won a lot of championships as well. So that has something to do with it, but there's something enticing about, you identify this guy with a franchise. And I think there's a possibility, obviously that Giannis could be that guy. And that's something special for a player to attain. Yeah. All right. uh, Next question. Do you, or did you ever play an instrument? Yep. I
0: played violin for like six or seven years. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. And I played saxophone, both alto and tenor. Ooh, that's been even longer. I'd say closer to eight or nine years. But okay. I haven't I kind of dropped off from it. I want to pick pick it back up. But yeah, those are the instruments I played. Would
1: you just dis- would you have described yourself as a good violinist or like a okay violinist? Like what how old were you when you started? I mean, this was like middle school and you know, oh, this okay. was primarily
0: like middle school and like freshman year high school. I would say I was okay at best.
1: Yeah, but still that's I mean, I've heard never have picked it up myself, but I have heard that the violin is by far one of the most difficult instruments to learn. So even to become okay at it is really impressive.
0: Yeah, like I think i would like to think i can at least hold my own at that stage of my life now nowadays no i think it would sound terrible but
1: (laughs) (laughs) but you know like the so here's the thing i like i played tuba Uh, i haven't played in a long long time and ha 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 the guy plays tuba It's, it's fine it was an awesome instrument i loved it but I think I would still be able to play better than somebody who's never picked up a tuba before. And that has a value all its own, in my opinion. And that goes doubly the case for a violin where somebody would just snap the strings on it immediately. Like, God, God damn it. Oh yeah. (laughs) You're over. Even if you're just hitting hot cross buns. I mean, that's way above what anybody else would be able to do on the violin. If you're just walking along the street. So there's pride in that. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, okay, next one. Uh, will Bud and Giannis repeat as coach of the year and slash MVP? And the coach of the year is going to be the key one here. But I think we should note that the Bucks are 23 so far this season. They're paced with the Lakers, but there's a chance this team really, really dominates the rest of the season. And if that's the case, that might build up his case. So will they co-repeat as winners of their respective awards? Uh, no,
0: I think Giannis has a very strong case on winning MVP. Again, the only other player that I can see potentially taking that title is Luka Doncic over in Dallas. And as far as a coach of the year, I could just see Frank Vogel getting it in LA. If not him, if Miami continues doing this well, then I could see Eric bolster getting that award as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, okay. Do you use a planner? So like a daily planner, a weekly planner, like any sort of planner to keep your life in order? I don't, and I probably should. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's a way for like almost everybody It's like, yeah, you know, I don't, but it it would be probably useful. It is difficult to get into though.
0: Yeah, it was something I used in school. when I was in school, like both high school and college. I used it pretty well, but since graduating, it hasn't really been something I've prioritized. Cause most of the time, if I need to know what events are going on, I just have it on my phone. So
1: the issue is i'm not gonna say i'm technology illiterate but i'm definitely not really great with my phone and when that's the case it makes it difficult for me like i was telling you before we started recording i I set it up where i think i accidentally synced up with the brew hoop like gmail group account and so every game it would i would get a notification that set up the preview for tonight's game like oh my god did i forget that i have to do the that I have to do the preview or whatever Are they waiting for me to write that up. And so I I'm going to try in 2020 to do a planner just for either that or personal stuff like project planning slash tracking. So I, I will report back sometime in 2020 how it's going, but I'm going to go ahead and give it a try again. Cause just like you, I did it back in high school, middle school and everything. And it helped a lot, especially keeping track of homework and projects and stuff. And we'll see how it goes. And now in my adulthood.
0: Yeah. I think the closest I had is Emma and I have a whiteboard. Uh, not a whiteboard a chalkboard in her kitchen and especially during the summer when i was busy with ford madison stuff we would like track like okay monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday saturday sunday and if there's things that i knew i was going to be busy doing then i would write it on there so that way she knew i wasn't going to be home or if she had like a book club then i knew like okay we i need to make sure this kitchen is clean so i think that was like the closest we've done
1: okay that's effective though there's something even just weekly i think it's really helpful so Everybody, if you're listening, go out and get a planner of some sort. It's it's helpful, I believe. It's, and then, it will help. It will. And the final question for you will the Bucks end the season with the best record in the NBA?
0: Yes. I think they're going to just because the East, they're going to continue beating up on the Bulls, they'll continue beating up on the Wizards and the Cavs and the Knicks. And I I think they're going to get you know two out of three against Boston, two out of three or whatever. They're going to have winning records against all of those teams in the East. So I think they're just going to feast on that schedule enough that they're it's going to allow them to finish with the best record again.
1: Do you think they're going to have a chance to do the best record ever? Like they're going to eclipse or match the twenty six or twenty fifteen twenty sixteen uh, Warriors with seventy three and nine? Do you think that's in play at all? I.
0: I want to say yes, but I, I'm just going to lean towards no, just because especially near the end of the season, I wouldn't be surprised if the Bucks have the first seed locked up and they kind of do a little bit more load management and resting of players. So I I just, I think they're, I didn't think they, I think they're going to get like 65, 66 wins again. I think it'll, I think it'll be something like that.
1: Yeah, you're super right about that minutes played so like that season draymond green he played all 81 ga- or 81 games averaged 34.7 minutes a game clear uh, steph played 79 games 34.2 clay 80 games 33.3 3. for compare, <laughs> for comparison's sake obviously the number's not games numbers not so much but Giannis is only averaging 31.4 chris 27.2 eric 26.9 that speaks to how deep and how effective the bucks are but you are right that at some point that minutes distribution will probably show out in the occasional loss here or there, which will prevent uh, a destiny with, or a date with destiny. And, but, but 65 is right there. I, I do not think it unreasonable, especially given how well they played so far to eclipse last season's record. So that would be pretty special. I think if they were able to follow up last year with such another dominant year. Yeah. And, and
0: who knows, maybe if they're close to breaking that record, they go for it. I, I just don't know That's because that's saying, in order to beat that record, they can only lose five more games,
1: and that's a big ask. <laughs> yeah, but what if? So here's the, here's the D chess and we'll move on. What if they're thinking in the organization? Bud, he's he's meeting with Horace. Everybody's like, okay, we're close. We could do this. Do you think they're like in the group trust? They're like, do you think if we get the all time wins record, that would be a feather in the cap for bringing Giannis back? Like, how can you how can you leave the greatest regular season team of all time? I wonder if that will go into there. (laughs) I could see that being the war room. they Probably
0: would discuss that. Yeah. Yeah. I think they would discuss
1: it. Giannis gets tarred and feathered for not accepting the extension after the greatest team ever. That would be quite the downfall if that happens. So maybe, maybe we should hope that it doesn't happen, but
0: yeah, you know, whatever
1: (laughs) that wraps up the uh, rapid fire segment this week. And I do have on the next point here. I do not have a fountain pen review, but have no fear. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Kyle's film review of the week. And I have it written down here, Little Mermaid and Finding Nemo. Can you explain, please?
0: Yes. Yeah, so this past week in my folding laundry and just hanging out with Emma, we have watched movies on Disney Plus because, of course, so one of the movies we watched was Finding Nemo. And again, it was one of those where I, I was not, I did not love that movie when it came out initially. And I didn't know if it was maybe because I was like in that awkward age group where it was like I was too old to fully enjoy it. so now like rewatching it's like it's it's a good movie but it's not like great I I don't know if it's as iconic as some people might make it out to be I think Marlon is a very annoying character and kind of a dick (laughs) so (laughs) he just like a lot of the issues with the movie like I kind of said I was like you know half these problems wouldn't happen if Marlon
1: just stopped being an asshole (laughs) oh my god
0: (laughs) You're it's, not uh, wrong. I
1: mean hundred percent I'm not gonna say you're wrong, but that, that's again another strong take today. I
0: think my yeah, I think most of what I liked didn't involve him or Dory was like a superior character. So I think that's what I thought of finding Nemo. And okay. The Little Mermaid, that was so that I'm a head odd and it I wasn't planning on watching and then I was just like sitting there and doing other stuff and I just ended up watching it with her and that movie was that is a very interesting movie in regards to Ariel basically screwing over her whole, like, people and her, like, kingdom, and, like, the kingdom, just so she can get with some dude. Long story short of it. <laughs> like, you're giving up your voice, you put your whole thing at risk, you end up signing the crown away and letting Ursula potentially be in charge, all because you wanted to get with some guy that you didn't even know. Not, not good judgment. And, yeah. It's I... really age as well as it probably should and i think this was like before like a lot of the empowerment of like you don't need a man to like be special or anything because i know like mulan and pocahontas came after and that like kind of reinforced like yes girls can do as much and they don't need a guy while little murray was like near the end of that
1: yeah so i should admit i've never watched little murray in my life it's weird uh I don't feel any sort of compunction to do so either. Really strong song, whatever the hell the do 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 I'm oh, not yeah. say it all the D, way in part of your
0: world are like two great songs. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like so it's strong in songs. that
1: regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's got that. But I've heard both from you and just from other people that the it seems to me story's not really all that strong. Like the idea, the concepts are all there. Obviously, I mean what's not to love, mermaid underwater people are they all mermaids is this a society of mermaids or who would, i guess i'm confused on the structure of society so it's underwater people right yeah okay and then there's above water like you know, us us then people <laughs> Yep, yeah then there's humans and then obviously Ariel falls for whoever okay right so that just doesn't strike me that's it's very like formulaic but at that point like you're saying that's kind of like the end of the era where it's like okay this is a pretty typical type for a lot of different films for Disney. So it probably best that that was the dying breath. But like I should like I said, give credit to the songs for finding Nemo. I'm not going to say that I really, really loved it. I think it was good. Felt like to me, and I'm not somebody who watches films, even as a kid, I was like, the pacing's a little weird on this film. Like the, the, scene jumps where we're like in different parts of the ocean and all of a sudden we're in sydney australia in a dentist's office and then they have like that closing the closing sequence in the sydney harbor whatever one feels like goes too long and two it feels like the movie ends like six times in in that sequence there which always kind of threw me off so i'm not a finding nemo lover nor a hater i just do not feel strongly about it
0: yeah, it's one of those where it's like, it's a fine movie. I can see how a little kid could get into it. But like I said, when it first came out, I think it came out in like 2003 or something. and I was, you know, 11. So I was just like, right outside of the age group that it's going after. And now watching it as an adult, it's one of those where I would hope my kid wouldn't pick that movie to watch.
1: But yeah. I can at least stomach through it that's impressive 2003 that's some really good anim i mean obviously we weren't working with stones but that was pretty impressive animation for being 2003
0: yeah that's that is a good fact like and it, i think it is a pixar movie and pixar has always been ahead of the curve yeah with their animation so
1: well and then my final question on the film review this week since you're our resident expert was finding nemo two a cash grab yes or no oh that finding dory yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Fine. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't even know. Yeah. Okay. One hundred percent. Absolutely. Yes. One hundred percent. Like that is
0: a bigger cash grab than Frozen Two ever was. Yes, like yes. that is the epitome of Disney cash grab.
1: I can't believe I'm. I'm embarrassed to admit this. I paid actual money at a film or at a theater to go watch that film, which was that's embarrassing. <laughs> I have not go? seen it. Like that it's... might have
0: been one where movie if movie pass was still relevant, I would have maybe done it, but. No, I've not watched it yet. I, it's probably on Disney Plus, so maybe one day I'll watch it. And come back. Yeah, and see. it was.
1: I'll tell you this much: it was weak. I was not impressed whatsoever. And Dory was fine as a ancillary slash co-star in the first film. To do the whole second movie about her. It was tough. It was a tough sell, and it showed through the entirety of that uh, piece of work. So, ladies and gentlemen, do not watch Finding Dory. Save yourself two and a half hours, or however long it is. Uh, So that wraps up. Anything else on Kyle's Film Review this week?
0: Mm, No, I don't know what You know, I think before Christmas, I'm going to do a... Because I have watched some Christmas movies, so I might have to do a very
1: large Christmas recap. What would you say... I think we talked about this last year, just real quick before we get on to the next week. What would you say your top Christmas film is if you just pick it right now?
0: I would probably say The Grinch.
1: The the animated or live live action? Either,
0: but I lean towards the animated.
1: Okay, so I had a couple of friends who said they preferred the live action. I thought the live action was a little creepy. Like, it threw me off a little bit. It's weird.
0: It's definitely weird.
1: I like Jim Carrey. I think Carey that's and
0: why. Yeah, yeah, Jim Carrey does a fantastic job, but I think I would lean
1: towards the animation because it's not as creepy. Is it wrong of me to say that Elf is a good Christmas film? Are you an Elf hater? Or are you an Elf okayer?
0: I I I loved it <laughs> when I was in college. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah. I okay. think I think as I've matured. Oh, no. I've grown less in love with it like it's still good it's still a very good christmas movie but i think i've grown less in love with it as i'm mature because i was like okay maybe it's not as funny as i thought and like i, I think that's the- i still think it's a good movie but okay. i didn't like that oh, that one i would have said was probably like a top three christmas movie in my opinion okay. like a few years ago And now it's kind of like maybe top 10
1: i don't have a list uh I would probably... It's been a while since I last saw it. I, I do like it a lot. It, it is a part of the film, like, category of secondary cringe. Like, it's just there's some, like, secondary embarrassment. And there's some, like... Not- really dark but there's some stuff is like man this is kind of effed up a little bit like what's happening oh, in this yeah. movie right now <laughs> so maybe, maybe that if i watched it today i'd be like hmm no i'm sure i'm a big fan of that for a christmas film but we will hold off on more christmas review for uh once we get closer to the season the holiday season once adam is back because i would love to hear his takes on christmas films so well but final thing before we wrap up this week we have four more games coming up uh, I'll just run down them real quick. We have Monday against Orlando. Wednesday, New Orleans comes to town. Uh, Friday, we go to Memphis to play the Grizz. And then Saturday, they are back in Milwaukee to face the Cavaliers. Kyle, I have a feeling I know what your prediction this week is going to be, but please make it official.
0: I, I think the fun question I'm going to ask is, who loses first, the Milwaukee Bucks or the Wisconsin Herd? Because uh, the Bucks, a, I have the yeah. Bucks going it though.
1: I think I will probably agree with you there on 4-0. It would be really depressing if one of these four teams was the one that tops them. I would have to look at... Now, this would be a point where if we had Dakota Schmidt on, that would be super helpful because he would have a lot more of knowledge about the rest of the uh, G League uh, talent and the other teams, essentially. But let me, let me see if I can pull up the schedule. I know they don't play nearly as often as the NBA team does, but... The 4 in a week, why don't you just run down real quick while I pull it up, and is there anybody that you're even worried about, or do you think it's just going to be a romping the, the entire way through?
0: I would say the closest will be the Orlando game, just because Orlando's not terrible compared to the Pelicans, especially without Zion, and if they have other injuries. Memphis, is if they had John Morant, I'd be a little bit worried, but he's out hurt. Cleveland, no, because I don't think they're going to shoot 15-20 to from three in the second half again. So I would say Orlando is going to be the closest one. And that one might be like a 10 to 15 point win, but the other ones I expect 20 plus victories.
1: Yeah, it should be a a real, I mean, just kill all these teams. I agree that Orlando is a little interesting. The other one is I'm not sure. I think I saw somewhere that maybe Zion is planning on coming back sometime this week. Now, he's going to be on a managed restriction and he hasn't had any time really to gel with any of his teammates on court. That might be like an interesting fold, but really of these four games, that's the most interesting just because there's a chance he would play. And what, what does that look like? Just cause what does Zion look like with an NBA team an actual NBA competition? So that would be the only thing that really jumps out to me. And I, I should note uh, the only game the Hurt play this week they won yesterday, 128-115 over the Rio Grande Va- Valley Vipers. They do not play until next Saturday when they host the Canton Charge. Or sorry, they go to Canton to play the Charge. So they only have one game this week, the Bucks have four. I would tend to believe that it's probably going to be the herd who drop a game first. But I don't know. that They're really flying right now, which is super impressive given the turnaround and how bad they were last season. So shout out to all our herd people, all the Oshkotsites. Oshkotchites. I I don't know who are we'll go with it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, well and also I would say the herd as well, just because uh Canton actually is a solid team. They're eight four. They've won six of the last ten. So Dang. not terrible. So like maybe they and I think that one's on the road or is it at it yeah, is on the, on the road. There in Canton. So yeah. that one I can see a potential slip up, but Yeah, the herd have been really impressive, and especially with the whole new coaching staff and basically a whole new roster. I don't think there's anyone on the team that that was even there last year. I think it's a whole new set of players. Uh, wasn't
1: Jalen Adams was on the team last year? I think there might be like one or two guys, but you're right; that is almost wholesale change from all of last year, which I think is probably the norm of the G League, but still. At least, you know, player wise, but coaching staff usually not that big of a change, but to have such a radical change in the fortunes of the team, uh, pretty impressive. And I, I should note, if the herd are able to get past the charge, the Bucks do play after this week, both the Mavericks and the Lakers. Now, we talked a lot of mess about a lot of different teams. Those are two pretty good Western teams. So we'll see how that holds up. But it really is probably going to come down to next week to see who decides it. Unless, obviously, like you said, the herd drop one against the herd charge. But so far, they're flying. They're they're keeping pace with the uh, parent team, which good for them and good for everybody who goes to herd games.
0: Yeah, good for them. and I mean, those are fun games, and they had some pretty cool ugly sweater jerseys yesterday that were up for auction. And I think the benefits go to Goodwill. So if you are a big herd fan, feel free to make a bid. I think the auction's still going. Probably not by the time you're listening to this, but... They just have really cool jerseys, and I think that's something that uh, Milwaukee should probably take note on, and maybe bring back the deer.
1: Give me more Cream City jerseys, please. <laughs> the, we got to hold off on the deer. They're gonna the day that they reveal the deer jersey, the internet might break just because everyone's hard charging for the Bucks. am <laughs> like, I need to order one right now. I got to be on the line for that one.
0: yeah Yeah, that one it's going to break it's going to crash the website
1: (laughs) yes it will so and we look forward to being right there with you everybody when we all crash the internet to try and get the bucks deer jerseys go to herd games go to bucks games there's a lot of them coming up soon uh that's been kyle carr riley fun with you for episode 43 of the brew hoop podcast we appreciate you listening and we will catch you guys again next week (laughs)